welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast with your hosts Mackenzie and Micah. We are looking at section 3C in traditional Quaker Christianity. It's the unchangeable teacher, prophet, and shepherd. And here we have a couple of quotes from George Fox. Um, in the first one, he talks about um, what he calls the brittle and un- the brittle and changeable. And uh, he's talking a lot about the tumult that existed in his time period. It was the English Civil War. The king had been beheaded. There was a lot going on, and there were a lot of ideas floating around. And he um, talks about the unchangeable truth in here. And I think this is meaning uh, keeping to, quote-unquote, that which is eternal, um, rather than following um, fads or factions. Uh, at least that's how I interpret it, is that, that this is... Um, remembering the love thy neighbor and all of that stuff. Yeah, and when, when George Fox and other early Quakers talked about the truth, um, they weren't necessarily talking about a particular set of words. Uh, they were talking about uh, the living presence and guidance of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so uh, to be grounded in, in what George Fox called the unchangeable truth, or the, you know, the unchangeable nature of God, it wasn't necessarily about sticking to a fixed set of, 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 of rules or, or, or doctrines derived from the Bible. Um, it was more important to be rooted in the nature of who God is, mm-hmm. um, which, uh, you know, as, as we know from Scripture, uh, the nature of who God is is love. And so being rooted in love and being rooted in uh, compassion and truth and justice uh, is, uh, I think from the early Quaker's perspective, more important than... Uh, than sort of keeping up with whatever particular religious or political debate is happening in the day. And of course, uh, as Mackenzie said in George Fox's time, uh, there was an enormous, enormous tumult. Uh, you know, I mean, think, think the 1960s and then add, add, add the American Civil War. That's basically what was going on. <laughs> uh, so you had a spiritual and a military revolution going on. Um, and so the society was breaking down and all sorts of ideas that previously would have been sort of suppressed by, by a more stable uh, society, we're bubbling up. Um, we don't currently, uh, it seems like any day now we might be, um, but we don't, currently be, we don't currently seem to be living in quite such tumultuous times. Um, however, um, there, are, uh, there is still a lot of tumult uh, in, in our political and spiritual ideology. And again, I feel like I've said this many times, but uh, in George Fox's day, there was not really a line at all between what was considered spiritual and what was considered uh, political um, or practical. Uh, right, because the king was the head of the Church of England. So. It, exactly, and 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 basically all of all of all of uh, civil law was based on was explicitly based on religious precepts. Um, so uh, today, we in a, in the United States, we do make a pretty firm distinction between religious convictions and uh, secular law and governance and culture. Um, but uh, as, as I have argued and will continue to argue, I think, I think the separation is less than what we believe it to be. Um, and one, one place I would talk about this, and, and I promise it's going to connect to what we're talking about, but one place where, where I think uh, you can see the connection between the, the, the spiritual and the uh, sort of secular, economic, political is in what's often called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a, uh, a false teaching 
that is really prevalent today and is uh, very powerfully um, very powerfully embodied by many currently in government, including our president. Uh, and uh, the the current presidential administration is is sort of spiritually backed by a lot of uh, prosperity gospel preachers. Um, and this is not a coincidence. Uh, the the sort of spiritual underpinnings of our society are deeply connected with how we act politically and economically as a society. And so. For those of you who aren't familiar with the prosperity gospel, basically the idea of the prosperity gospel is that God shows his love and favor for people by providing them with wealth and making them successful in material terms. Of course, the flip side to that is that it implies that if you're poor, it's your own dang fault. Right. And there, of course, there are many versions of the prosperity gospel. You don't need to be you don't need to be a Christian or or even a religious person to believe in the prosperity gospel. Um, one version of the prosperity gospel, something that's been promoted a lot by Oprah, which is the secret, um, and this idea that that the energy, uh, the, the universe uh, has an energy that if you connect to this energy and send out the right energy, you will get back the things that you are sending out. And so this idea that um, you know if you're sending out the right kind of energy to the universe, the universe will give you whatever luxuries uh, or anything else that you want. Whereas if you're sending out the wrong kind of energy, you're probably going to have a bad life and live in poverty. Or the uh, hippie new age version of karma right. would also fall in that category. Right. So um, the way we think about uh, the way we think about the universe, uh, the way we think about how the world not only not only does work but should work um, is really powerful. Even even today in a society that a lot of people think of as being secular, it's 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 very powerfully intertwined with our economics and with our politics. And so um, when we when we whether we consider ourselves religious or not, when we follow a faith that teaches us that if I'm wealthy, it's because I've done the right thing. And if I am poor, it's because I've done something wrong. Uh, we are going to see that reflected in our government and our economic institutions. And I think it's very interesting. Um, and, and in people's attitudes in general, because you see, you hear a lot of people saying um, that somebody must have deserved whatever resulted in them being poor. You know, they you, you hear a lot of very callous, or callous, callous um, people saying things about, well, you know, maybe if they were just living their life right, they wouldn't be living in poverty. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, sometimes you just, yeah, you get cancer. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I'm, I'm someone who, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've looked, I've, 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 I've looked through some, some of the popular books that are essentially prosperity gospel, like The Secret, for example, that Oprah has promoted. Um, but I also, I also have read a lot of sort of popular business books, both out of the tech world and just out of other business backgrounds. And there's this, 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 uh, prosperity gospel mindset is entrenched. Um, is deeply is deeply embedded in our economic in, in the leaders of our economy. Um, the idea that you know, um, well, you know, for example, like in the tech world, there's a very strong faith that if we just figure out to do how to do things in a smart way, everything will be great. And the reason we have problems is because we haven't figured out the right tool to apply to it. And this is this is this is we most of us don't conceive of it this way, but this is a religious faith. This, this is a way of conceptualizing the universe and saying this is how things work uh, on sort of a metaphysical level. That when we do this, we get that. E equals MC, I'm rich. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
getting getting back to our original our original topic, and I don't think we've departed from it, but just to make the connection again, uh, George Fox uh, in his ministry in this very tumultuous time in 1650s England was encountering all these ideas that were were very were very compelling, uh, were very exciting, but as a matter of fact were divorced from reality and from the truth and from who God is. And so when he encountered these things, um, his, 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 uh, his, his estimation of them was that um, they lead to brittle people. They lead to people who can't, um, ironically, because, because, they are, because they are rooted in changeable things and things that are not rooted in the unchangeable reality of God's love, ironically, they become brittle because they are, uh, when, 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 when you and I are wedded to something that's not, that's not uh, fundamentally true, in order, to keep, uh, in order to keep the faith, we're required to make ourselves very brittle and, 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 and fragile um, so, that, so that we can protect, protect this untrue thing. So I you, think, get, you get defensiveness. And right. actually, um, well, here's an example of uh, in Christianity where somebody will get very defensive about something that turns out is not true as far as you know anyone can see. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole young earth creationism thing the people who argue for young earth creationism have to start you know bending themselves in knots uh well god planted the the fossils of the dinosaurs to trick you into thinking that they existed and they carbon date as being older than the world can really be because god is testing your faith aha that's it right and that's and it's you know if you actually get them to believe one little piece of what natural sciences show us, then the whole house of cards comes down. Right. So this is a really brittle young earth creationism, uh, sort of on the on the fundamentalist Christian side of things, uh, is a really great example of, of a, a a changeable and brittle faith um, because it relies, as McKinsey said, on this whole host of assumptions that if just one thing goes, um, the whole faith is destroyed. And you'll, you actually, uh, in, in sort of uh, fundamentalist Christian circles, you hear that a lot, as a matter of fact, that, you know, in terms of like a particular interpretation of the Bible, there's this fear that, well, if this, if our, you know, if, if one, uh, the, the phrase I've heard a number of times is, if one thing in the Bible is untrue, then, it, then none of it is trustworthy. Um, and the idea being like, if, if this one, if this one passage that we've been t- interpreting this way, if it's not, if it's not the way we interpreted it, well, then the whole Bible can't be trusted, and so you get you get this house of cards that it just takes a slight breeze to blow over. And I think all of us have known people who have, uh, maybe we've known ourselves. I've certainly I certainly have been there, um, where uh, I've had a crisis of faith because uh, the 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 chain of assumptions that my that my worldview relied on, one of those links broke, uh, and the rest just came loose. So what George Fox is what George Fox is advocating is a closer, uh, as the song goes, just a closer walk with Jesus. Um, a, a, what song? Just a closer walk with thee. All right, I'll find it on YouTube. Oh, that's a pretty famous song. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'll find it on YouTube and put it in the in the show notes. But, um, but so yeah, but but George George Fox is, is advocating a closer walk with thee, a closer walk with Jesus, um, in really sticking close to Him. Uh, rather than rather than allowing um, human ideologies to become the center. Okay. Um, and the the second part of this chapter talks about the roles of Christ 
and um, it so it says in here that um, friends emphasize that Christ has other roles or offices um, in addition to being savior, um, such as shepherd, teacher, prophet, um, and the author and finisher of faith. Mm. Um, and I think uh, it can be easy to have a favorite one of those roles. Um, there's, or, you know, uh, okay, there's that George Fox line. There's one even Christ Jesus that can speak to your condition, right? Um, so I suppose depending on what your condition is at the time, whether you need more emphasis on one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, um, as I think a lot of us know, in the evangelical world, there's an almost exclusive focus on Jesus as Savior, which of course he is. Uh, but uh, there's a narrowing of understanding of Jesus to, to only be um, that the, the sort of the, the saving work uh, that happened on the cross, and so, and it's such an intense focus on that that oftentimes um, all the, the preaching he did beforehand gets forgotten. All his teaching, all of his uh, uh, even even the you know the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus that Jesus unleashed um, afterwards, uh, basically everything else is easily sort of pushed aside. Uh, and 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 Jesus's death on the cross becomes um, almost an idol uh, in the sense that uh, it, it loses all proportion and shape and context from from everything else about Jesus. You mentioned the Holy Spirit today during um, during meeting. Somebody stood and read from the Gospel of John, uh, the part about uh, part where Jesus says that he's going to send an advocate, mm-hmm. um, and then somebody else uh, later in the meeting spoke. Um, saying that uh, helper and comforter are the other um, ways that that is translated. Um, and so, I mean, I think even just the the number of, and I know this is Holy Spirit versus Christ, but the number of ways that whatever Greek word that is gets translated, um, how they have these slight differences in nuance, um, that itself should point to how broad ranging the the roles of the divine are yeah um i know for me the teacher one is the one that i prefer to look at the savior one's more uncomfortable um i would not fit in an evangelical church Hmm. that's why i go to a quaker meeting and not to an evangelical friends church or like a baptist church I do. I do think that's. I do think that's an area where. I mean, you know, for for me, for me, Jesus' death on the cross is is a, like is extremely central to my faith. Um, but that being said, I think something that's really that's really great about the Quaker tradition is an emphasis on Jesus as not merely teacher, because a lot of Christian churches teach that Jesus is that teach that Jesus is teacher. But it's but Jesus's teaching is often seen as being a codified set of. Uh, of, of writings in the New Testament that are now handed down to us, which of course that is a part of Jesus' teaching. He did teach those things and those are passed down to us. But what I love about Quakerism uh, is the emphasis on Jesus as present teacher and that Jesus is continuing to teach us through the Holy Spirit. And that, you know, just like the disciples, uh, you know, in, in the Gospel of John, probably my favorite part of the Gospel of John is after the resurrection when Jesus is appearing to the disciples again and again and again in all these different ways. Uh, the Quaker understanding of how Jesus is present in our lives is very similar to that. That Jesus is, is, not, is not a teacher that taught once and then is done, but that Jesus continues to teach and continues to be present in our lives. Yeah, I mean, another name we have for the um, inward light is 
um, the inward teacher or the inward <clears throat> or the inward guide. Right. Yeah. So um, at least in in the Quaker tradition, uh, teacher teacher can loom very large. Um, prophet is all is another is another traditional office of, of of Jesus. And I mean, I think it's a very important one. You can't really you can't really understand Jesus properly without understanding the prophetic Jewish tradition. Um, and that, that's that's a place where Jesus locates himself and mm-hmm. repeatedly identifies himself as being as standing as sort of the culmination of the prophetic tradition. Right, a prophet is never is never welcome in his hometown or and even, whatever that line is. And even his, I mean, uh, in, in many places he points to it, including in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, um, he is basically reenacting. Uh, a part of uh, I, I think it's Isaiah where it talks about. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Isaiah because Jesus is real big on Isaiah. Yeah. So um, he's re- but he, he's reenacting what the prophets have said the Messiah will do. You know, including coming and riding on the foal of a donkey and a colt. Um, so, so <laughs> depending on which gospel you're in, possibly both at the same time. Both at the same time. <laughs> Jesus is like a, a, a double animal ride. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Um, but yeah. So I mean, uh, you know. Prophet. Uh, Maybe he's got one foot on each. Yes, that's right. Like, like it. when you see the trick, the trick horse riders. I, I one ha- foot on each. I haven't seen any religious art portray that, but you know, we should really commission someone to, <laughs> yeah, to paint that one. Fairly. Um, but yeah, I mean, you really can't understand Jesus without understanding him as a prophet, and that's central to the Quaker tradition in that um, the the favorite mode of ministry for the early Quaker movement, for sure. Uh, and to some extent to Quakers today, is the prophetic mode of ministry, which is speaking a word from God to the community, to an individual, or to the nation uh, that uh, opens up uh, what God is saying. Um, so, for I mean, for example, uh, one example of prophetic ministry in Quaker circles, of course, is stand up in a meeting for worship and speak a word uh, directly from the Holy Spirit that has relevance and importance to the community. Um, other examples of prophetic action uh, can include things like what um, uh, the Plowshares movement has done, uh, taking direct action uh, to draw attention to uh, nuclear nuclear weapons and the danger they pose and the blasphemy that they are. Um, you know, Plowshares folks uh, uh, walked in to you know broke in miraculously. They should have they should have been shot on several occasions, but miraculously bro- wa- you know broke in, walked in to uh, the uh, uh, Oak Ridge nuclear facility and uh, and put up banners and, 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 and poured some of their own blood on the facility and stuff. And this is a facility where, you know, uh, huge amounts of fissile material are kept to build nuclear bombs. <laughs> so there are lots of different ways to be prophetic, but I think it's, it's central to the Quaker tradition and, and I would say to the Christian tradition that Jesus has a role in inspiring and, and, and empowering the prophetic and, and bringing God's word to life in the world. And um, just you know, talking about Jesus as prophetic, um, there's one of the lines that was used back when we talked about the branches a few episodes ago. One of the lines that was used um, during the Hicksite Orthodox breakup, which Hicksites are now the liberal branch, um, was to describe because part of the part of the disagreement that was going on was that on the Orthodox side, which is now where the evangelical and um, and, and pastored um, friends are, um, was to emphasize the Savior thing a lot. Um, and still nowadays, the liberal, the liberal branch is still not so comfortable with the strong emphasis on that, and as we were just saying, right, um, where the emphasis is placed. But one of the things that was said on the Hicksite side back then 
was um, that Jesus was more than a man and more than a prophet. And that was sort of, that was the line that they set for um, the extent of belief required to be considered Christian. Mm-hmm. That that they were not going to emphasize Savior the way the Orthodox were. But, you know, that does still involve him being a prophet, but then saying that there's more to it than just the prophet thing. Yeah. New announcement today. Um, we were asked by a listener on Twitter whether we had a Patreon account. And uh, this was months ago, and we said no at the time. We're actually launching one now, and the reason is that we would like to have transcripts created for the episodes going forward so that um, deaf and hard-of-hearing friends are not left out. If you would like to participate in that, the address is patreon.com slash quakerpodcast. There will also be a link on the website. Find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, on Twitter as Quaker Faith, on Facebook, and on iTunes. 